What's up guys and welcome back to Theology Unscripted. I'm David here with Dr. Jones. Today we'll be going over Romans and looking through the theological aspects of the book. This is Theology Unscripted. Okay, we are going to start uh, in the book of Romans. Romans is one of my favorite books because it's uh, really hard to understand. So it uh, causes a lot of uh, thought, a lot of deep thought. And I thought uh, it would be good to get get kind of some prompts on theological things that uh, we could go through, theological aspects, like you said. Just um, And so Romans is a good place to start because there's tons of theology uh, in it. All right, so before we get started, what would you say the overall theme of Romans is, if you had um, to pick one theme? Uh, I would say that, so Paul wanted to, desperately to go to Rome. He wants to go to Rome and to preach to the church, to the Christians there, uh, but he hasn't gotten to. So this is, I would say, probably the uh, most, well, this is the longest of Paul's letters, and this is the most robust uh, theological work of Paul, I think. Uh, he is, his theme is uh, talking about the revelation of God's judgment, his saving righteousness uh, in the cross and God, all of that, all the things that he does in his mercy and why we need his mercy. That's kind of his main theme, but he really is, I think, giving a full explanation of his beliefs about uh, the work of Jesus Christ uh, because he doesn't get to go to Rome at this point uh, when he wrote this. He hadn't gotten to get to Rome like he wanted to and preach to them. So this is uh, his work to them, uh, his lo- you know, his, uh, work of love to them to preach to them what he believes. So it's just kind of like a missionary story almost. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. it's you know, If you imagine you had the most important story you could possibly tell uh, and you wanted to go in person to tell a group of people about it and you just couldn't, what would you write to them? And that's what Paul is doing here. That's uh, one of the things he says in... Uh, the intro to his letters. The great thing about Paul's letters is there's really no question who wrote them. He always starts them with a greeting, saying who he is, and then he addresses it to who he's writing it to. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 1, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about how much he wants to go to Rome in the next part. So uh, verses one th- or 8 through 14, he is talking about, I wish I could come to Rome, and one day maybe I will. Uh, but for now, I'm, and he says in verse uh, 11, it is, uh, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, uh, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Uh, but I don't want you to be unaware of the things that, um, that, I've, that I'm going to say, not, uh, the things I've intended to come to you, but have been prevented thus far. So he wants to go, but he, he just can't yet. So this is, what he, this is his message to them. All right, so what were the Romans doing so bad that Paul desperately wanted to go and talk to them and, like, teach them about God? Or did he just want to teach them about God? I think he just wanted to. Yeah, I don't know. There there are a lot of letters that Paul writes where he's trying to address some big problem. Uh, There may have been. I don't. Well, we may find out more as we read through. No, uh, because I can't think off the top of my head if there's any in particular problem. But specifics. Yeah, it seems like maybe they didn't have a good theology, and he wanted to give it to them. So maybe there's just general, they didn't really have a deep knowledge of uh, the work of Jesus and who he was and what God has done uh, through his son, so he just wanted to impart that. Uh, we may, As we go through, we may come across something that I can't think of off the top of my head, and that's why we're reading through it, so we can all learn from it. Sounds good. So where yeah. did you want to start reading it? So uh, rather than uh, go verse by verse through the book, uh, since this is theology unscripted, I want to uh, focus on some sections that are uh, bringing up some theological points. And he has uh, Romans in a 
uh, at least the first part here. He has it in an order that makes sense to me because he's going to start by talking about God's wrath on the unrighteous. That starts in verse 18 of chapter 1, where he starts, uh, this is after his greeting. He uh, has said, uh, you know, he's greeted the, the Romans. He said, I wish I could come be with you. And he starts uh, speaking to them, and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So this is quite an intense way to start a book. Hey, I wish I could come see you, and the wrath of God is on the unrighteous. (laughs) Not usually how I would start the message, but I believe the point is that uh, he's going to get to the good news of the gospel, but he has to start with the bad news. You know, with if if you imagine, I think it's Ray Comfort and some of the people who talk a lot about evangelism, um, which that's some of their the ways they talk about it are not, I don't think, exactly right. But they uh, do have done some awesome work over the years. Uh, but one of the things he says is if you imagine telling somebody about a or you, you imagine somebody on an airplane and you give them a parachute and tell them they have to wear this parachute for the whole flight. And it's uncomfortable, and uh, people laugh and ask, why are they wearing this parachute? And like, what's the point, right? But if you tell somebody, hey, here's a parachute because this plane is going to crash Mm -hmm. while you're on it. They're going to wear the parachute. They're going to wear it, right? So uh, that that analogy breaks down in in a lot of ways, but the point of it is that you have to have bad news for there to be good news. You have something to be saved from in order to be saved, right? What are you getting saved from, right? And in this case, Paul is laying out that the wrath of God is what we need to be saved from. Mm -hmm. Those who are unrighteous and ungodly are in danger of the wrath of God, and so that's what they need to be saved from. So that's where he starts this letter. So what do you think the wrath of God consists of in this scenario? Just the end times? It could be the end times. Uh, Paul says uh, some in chapter 2, which we'll get to in a minute, but he talks about there in... Uh, in verse 6. We'll, we'll just kind of go back and forth between some of these passages, but uh, chapter 2, verse 6, he says, "...who are rendered to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil." the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. That last, last part about partiality is he's saying this applies to everybody, Jewish and Greek. It's not One's not better than the other. Yeah. That's all he means by that. The point for what we're talking about here is uh, when you read this, it seems like Paul is saying, well, if you do good and you um, seek uh, glory and honor, you'll receive it. If you are self-seeking, you'll receive wrath and fury and distress. So it seems to be some aspect of in this life there will be trouble as well, but we also can't ignore the eternal aspects of this too, uh, which is that those who uh, are righteous deserve uh, presence with God, and those who are unrighteous deserve separation from him, deserve his wrath. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot. There's, I can't, I. It, he does kind of bring this up that it's more than just eternal. All right. So I see here in verse 10, I think it is, that um, it says there's honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and the Gentile. So by doing good, does this make it a works-based? Because I know I've always been taught the only way you get to heaven is by asking God, believing, and then confessing your, like, 
your belief in him. So yeah. does this just mean if we do good, we're going to go to heaven or how does that work? So I do think, and, and as we keep reading the things that Paul says, I think he's setting us up to think that way. But what he's going to say later on is, oh, hey, actually, none of us are righteous. Yeah. So he said, hey, you know what? In, in a perfect world, those who are righteous do well and those who are not don't do well and they deserve wrath. So he's setting up this idea that God shows no partiality, that what you need to do well in life is righteousness. But the problem is, is you can't do it on your own. Mm. So uh, it seems like if you read this out of context, if you just read this by itself without reading the rest of the letter, uh, which we're, that's why we're going to read the whole, you know, go through the whole thing at least, you could, yeah, it's an easy assumption to make, well, this is workspace, you know, it's just do well and you'll do and you'll get good things, do bad and you do bad things. And of course, that's not even how we experience the world, right? Yeah. You know, oftentimes you try to do good and things still don't go well. And it seems like, you know, people who do evil, things do go great for them, right? Uh, this happens a lot. But uh, so there is a little aspect here that he's setting up what he's going to continue to, uh, teaching to the Romans. Gotcha. So, yeah, if we keep moving on, we see, um, let's see, about verse Romans 12, 31. maybe, or? Or uh, Romans 3, verse 21. 3, 21. Okay, yeah. talking about the righteousness through faith. So that's yes. just showing that, like, God will help us in our righteousness because without him, we can't show any righteousness, basically. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, good. Yeah, that's where he's heading with this. So let's mm -hmm. see how he gets there. So, yeah, that's exactly right. That okay. verse 21, that is what he's saying. He's like, it's righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law uh, and granted through faith. You're exactly right. So how does he get there? He does talk a little bit about the law, because he's writing to Jews and Gentiles and Greeks in this case. He's writing to both, because in the church at this time now, both Jews and Gentiles have been accepted into uh, the church, into the uh, the family of Jesus. So he's got to speak to both of them. And he, being a Jewish person, is going to talk about the law. And he says, uh, he's going to talk to both groups uh, in chapter 2, verse 12. For all of who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. He's speaking to both. He's talking about those who have sinned and didn't have the law. People who were uh, not Jewish, Gentiles who didn't follow the law, didn't follow the uh, laws of Moses, didn't read the Torah. Uh, even still, even though they didn't have the law, they still sinned without it. But also, those who had the law will also be judged by the law. So Jewish people too. So he's continuing the thought from before, where he says that God shows no partiality. And he goes on, he says, for it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Mm -hmm. For when Gentiles who don't have the law by nature do what it requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. All right, this is an interesting phrase. Now, this is, he's talking about the laws that are written on people's hearts, is what I think he's talking about here. Uh, you can see, you know, the, a lot of, we could probably all think of somebody who we might say does good things. Mm -hmm. but has no relationship with Jesus, right. has a moral conscience written on their hearts uh, that, you know, they would probably not attribute to anything other than their per own humanity, but I believe is God's m moral law written on our hearts. Yeah, I'd say so. So, yeah, that's what this uh, Gentile, you know, he's speaking to Gentile, those who have the law or who do not have the law, uh, doing right, uh, they become a law to themselves, is what he says. They've been able to follow it, even though they maybe didn't know it uh, in writing. So the loss wasn't so much a written law or like tablet. It was just kind of like the basic ethics that we have in us. Well, I think he's saying it's both. both. I think so. It is written. And he says those who had it written, they were under that and they followed that. But even those who didn't have it written had it written on their hearts. So mm -hmm. I think it is there's there's it's both there. It was uh, 
it's written on people's hearts from the beginning. I do think that's important. Uh, that's the point he's making here, uh, that they all have it. So it, it's written and it's not. Gotcha. Yeah. So if we are so unrighteous, how are we supposed to be able to follow the law? Right. Yeah. Okay. So if you, verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you trusted in the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and instruct. So he's quoting things from the Torah, things like this. He's saying, if you uh, do these things, then uh, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you not commit adultery? Uh, you who hate idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Mm-hmm. For as it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So he is going to say, I think I'm getting on the point of your question. I think we're on that. Yeah. Uh, he is saying that you know, even if you have the law, you might teach it, but if you're not doing it, then you're missing the whole point. Right. So kind of a breakaway from that. He keeps mentioning the Jews. So yes. There's the Jews and the Jews. What kind of Jews? Jews and Gentiles, yeah. yeah. So like mm-hmm. we know the Jewish people and then the Jewish religion. Like, Is he talking of just the people of Jerusalem or— so, yeah, he's going to talk about the people who uh, it would be part partially family of Abraham, mm-hmm. who are the Jewish people, maybe not just in Jerusalem, but could be scattered around living in other towns. Um, but there are also, uh, I believe the word is proselytes, who are people who converted to Judaism. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I believe he could be talking about them as well. They may not have grown up in Abraham's family, but were following the Torah uh, in not to talk, go too into it, but in uh, the book of Acts, there is uh, a lot of debate about what do Gentiles who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, what part of the law do they have to follow? Right. Should they become Jews also? Long story short, no, no basically. So uh, Paul is going to talk another place. You can follow the law if you want. I do. I'm Jewish, but it's not required. Right. So uh, he, when he's, he's speaking to, to both parties, Jews and Gentiles, in this because now both are part of the family. There's been debate. Should Gentiles follow the Jewish law? The church decided they don't have to. There were four things that they said they had to do. We won't get into it right now, but essentially the law is not required anymore. So, But he is speaking to those who have found, I think in this part, he's speaking to those who have found their salvation in the law. He said, we're under the law. We're part of this. And that is where we find our, our righteousness is in that. So he's just speaking to them about that. Gotcha. Did you want to get into Romans 2, 28 <laughs> and uh, 29? Uh, circumcision, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, just briefly, because uh, this is goes along with what we were talking about. Yeah. This is talking about circumcision, and again, I would—this is the out—this is the sign of the covenant. Mm-hmm. So this is, for the Jewish person, this is—he's uh, just going into more detail about uh, what it means to be someone who follows what, the God's law. Right. So, yeah, verse 26, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So, again, yeah, his point is, if he follows the law, it doesn't matter what, at this point, in, in, at this point in, the, in God's redemptive history, this is not what is the sign of the covenant anymore. Is circum- now, it is, uh, it is something new, gotcha. is what he's going to get to. So, yeah, not, not to get too into that, but... Yeah, that's essentially what he's saying here. He's, uh, verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. And this, I think that goes back to what 
Moses would say at the end of Deuteronomy when he says, hey, follow this law. I know you're not going to. What you need is a change of heart. Yeah. I think Paul's probably alluding to that. All right. So um, so that used to be the sign of the covenant, and you said he's getting into what the new one's going to be? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, thankfully, I, <laughs> thankfully, the sign of the covenant now, I believe, is baptism. I don't know if he gets into that in this letter, right. but that's uh, what is presented as the, new, the sign of the new covenant. So uh, let's see. That brings us to the end of chapter 2. I want to mm, wrap up talking about God's righteousness, and then probably in the next episode we'll get into what it means for us to be righteous. So I think this is a good way to wrap up. We go uh, through verse 8. Uh, this is God's righteousness. He said, what then, what advantage has the Jew? So he's going to ask, is there any value in being Jewish? Is there any value in following the law? And he says, he says much in every way. To begin with, Jews were entrusted with the teachings or the oracles of God. Uh, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, uh, though everyone were a liar, as is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, then what shall we say? That God's unrighteousness, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? By no means, he says. For then, how could God judge the world? But if I, through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why? not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charged with saying their condemnation is just. Paul, he says so many words when he probably could say less. This is just how he wrote. <laughs> it's who he is. And I believe the point here is that, hey, you know what? If our sinfulness just shows that God is the only one righteous, th then great. Yeah. That's kind of what I get from that. Uh, he says, even though the Jews were unfaithful and refused to trust and obey God, he remains faithful to them, therefore will fulfill his covenant promises and his promise to save them. So uh, I think that's really what he's getting at. He's saying, yeah, I'm unrighteous, but it's, God is truly the one who is righteous. Right. And I think that is the point that he's making here. He's like, yeah, we have the law. We are under this law. We're able to follow that. However, we don't follow it. Mm -hmm. We have messed it up, but God is faithful anyway. And I think that's the point he's making in the beginning part of this. And I think on the next episode, it'd be good for us to talk about what does that mean for us and our righteousness. So a little summary. So you would say this book's kind of, or what we went over today is kind of just God saying that y'all aren't faithful or righteous enough, but if you follow me and follow the law that I've given to you, you'll be able to be righteous and faithful through me. Yeah, so that's kind of how he's setting it up. He's going to set it up and say, yeah, the, the law has made us righteous, but it's really God who's truly righteous. Right. Yeah. So he gave us this law in order to do that. It's written on our hearts, but it's God who is the only real righteous one. And what does that mean for us? Well, I think that's what we'll talk about on the next one. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you for listening, guys, and we'll see you on the next one.